You're listening to the Doc Lounge Podcast. This is a place for candid conversations with the healthcare industry's top physicians, executives, and thought leaders. This podcast is made possible by Pacific Companies, your trusted advisor in physician recruitment. I am one of your hosts, Cameron Steinheimer, and I am the marketing manager here at Pacific Companies. Welcome to the Doc Lounge Podcast by Pacific Companies. I'm your host, Stacey Doyle, Senior Director of Marketing. Today is part of our Provider's Perspective series. This series focuses on a physician's journey through medicine and the learnings and advice that they would give to their peers and upcoming physicians. Our special guest today on the Provider's Perspective is Dr. Susan Baditi, Family Medicine Physician. I'm also joined by our co-host, Christopher Call, EVP of Physician Recruitment here at Pacific Companies. Well, I'd like to welcome you, Dr. Baditi. Thank you so much for joining us today and so excited to hear about your perspective. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. Um, So I was born in Nigeria, um, grew up in Toronto, Canada, Um, went to medical school in the Caribbean, and I'm trained at LSU Shreveport. Um, And while I was there, I met my husband. So that's how I relocated to the DFW area. Um, I have a daughter and she's four. So I enjoy spending a lot of time with her. Um, I like traveling, um, working out when I can, um, and cooking. Those are my main interests. So I'm really excited to be on this podcast today. Nice. Well, and I know that your specialty is, you know, family medicine. So I'd love to to hear kind of what brought you into that or what what made that, you know, be of interest to you. Well, I, I initially applied in resident, for residencies for pediatrics and family medicine. So family medicine was kind of a backup. So when I was interviewing for um, the different um, positions, I got pediatrics and family medicine interviews. So during my family medicine interviews, I realized that the programs were more fitting for me um, because I could still see kids and then I still had some interest in seeing adults as well. So I just decided to go the family medicine route. Um, I really did enjoy family medicine in uh, when I was a medical student because I think I liked the work-life balance. I didn't think it was a stressful, I mean, I don't don't think anybody likes stress, but I particularly don't like stress as my husband will tell you. that's why I chose family medicine. I just felt like it was more, if I, you know, someone that wants to have children, that it provided me a better um, um, work-life balance. There's so much you can do with it. You're not stuck in just a clinic. You can do urgent care. You can do ER. Just a whole wide array of things you can do. Dr. Baditi, I wanted to back up just a little bit. I, I love your story about where you are now. Uh, and for the listeners, you know, a lot of times when you're thinking, you know, I'm thinking of becoming a doctor, I'm not sure whether it be biology or chemistry, whatever the undergrad was, and you decided to go to a uh, medical school outside of your country of Canada, let's say, could you go through that thought process for the listeners? Because a lot of times like, well, do I go to, in America, you got the MD school, you got the DO school, you have the foreign medical schools. That, that thought process you went to to maybe better assist them in selecting the appropriate medical school for them? Well, there's a couple of factors. Um, I really didn't want to leave home, but I think I think it was if I was in the United States, it would have been easier. I grew up in Canada, which I, if I remember correctly, there's only like 20 medical schools. So there's not, if you want to become a doctor, there's not a whole lot of options for you. And so I was like, you know what? 
let me just see what else is out there because there were there are there are other options other than um the caribbean and the united states for going to medical school if you're from canada you don't have many options there's also i also considered um ireland because a couple of my friends went to ireland too so i was like you know let me just one of my friends was telling me about the school that i went to and i was like let me try it and see just apply and see how that goes and i knew other people that were going there so that's how i selected it because i was i knew people that had gone there and the other people that were going there that helped me that helped me better make the decision and then when you uh applied for your residency that you were just telling us about the pediatrics and family medicine uh you had to take this at the ecfmg examination prior to applying to the residency in the medical school you went to yeah so just say just do your step one and step two as well and um, thankfully i passed the first time so made resident get into residency easier for me um, if you don't, if you struggle with those exams, residency can be a challenge to get into for sure. And I think from what I've heard recently, it's becoming more and more competitive, no matter what specialty one going to. Well, I'd love to hear, I know, you know, one of the big topics that, you know, we have been discussing has been around this work-life balance and, and kind of figuring that out as a physician. So obviously it sounds like with this, you know, focus in family medicine, that helped with that. But I wonder if there's just, you know, some overall things that you've found that's helped you know, as you've, as you've taken on, you know, being a physician? Yes. So when I had my, my daughter in 2018, um, I went back to work after six weeks and I was not happy about that. Um, the reason I went back to work so soon was because I was trying to get, um, I was trying to, I wasn't in the process of the, the hospital that I worked at was sponsored my visa and I was almost done what I needed to do there. And so I'm like, I was just thinking, let me just get this done as quick as I can so that I can apply for my green card. So I went back to work pretty soon. Um, and so I was like, I was thinking I would never do that again because the bond, I bonded with her, but when it came to breastfeeding, it became, when I got, it became more difficult because I wasn't home with her long enough. And so I decided in my next job, I was going to work sort of less and so right now I work three days a week. It's long, but it's, it's, um, I just do three days a week. And actually I was talking to my current job about what will happen if I, when I have another child, um, how I can cut down hours then as well, because I do want to bond with my child, at least growing up in Canada and having my friends having their 12, uh, 12 months return to leave. It makes me pretty jealous. So, um, it's just, I just, it's it's really hard to find a good work-life balance, but I'm really trying. And so that's why I choose right now to work. I just do three days a week right now. I work Tuesday to Thursday. So no Mondays, no Fridays, no weekends. Dr. Baditi, I'd like to follow up. Uh, you mentioned you were on a visa. Some of our listeners or people that would be listening to this podcast would be like, well, that's me. You know, in a, a short time frame that we have, if you could just kind of condense you know, that process, any things to be, you know, for the listeners to be aware of that maybe frustrated you, but, you know, ultimately you work through it and you wound up getting your green card. Yeah. So you have to get a job that's willing to sponsor. Thankfully, I worked at a great hospital at a great facility who was willing to sponsor my visa. The only thing was I was not used to, you have, if you're trying to get a job at DFW, they can get other doctors. Nobody's going to sponsor your visa. So the main thing is, Unfortunately, you have to be in a rural area. I was in Breckenridge, Texas. So you're going to have to just sacrifice three years. It's a three-year commitment and just um, 
work in a rural area. We don't have much available to you, but it, it's still a great experience, teaches you quite a bit. So that's the main thing to keep in mind that you have to be flexible. You're not going to get a big city. Um, you're not going to have all the amenities you want, but it's a sacrifice you're going to have to make to get through that process. I'd love to learn just as you've gone through your career, have there been role models or people that you've met that have really kind of helped you, you know, learn and, and kind of just continue to advance your career? Actually, my husband, he's a hospitalist. So he's really, um, he's one of the actual doctors I look up to because he's very thorough in his, his what coworkers will describe as, describe him as meticulous. Um, so some doctors will rush through see patients and doing this and doing that, but he really takes his time with patients. I've seen him um, talk to talk to uh, patients' families for like an hour out of his day, you know, answering all the questions. So other people may not do that. It's, it's a busy day. Um, he's always looking up things and how to help the patients. He makes sure he takes the most care of them. He doesn't speak ill of anybody. Um, and he's just a very, very good doctor, very compassionate. So I look up to that in him. He's one of the best doctors I've ever met. Not because he's my husband, but he really is. So would a contributing factor to your current uh, work schedule with your daughter be that your husband's working like a seven on seven off and it allows you some flexibility to spend time with your, your child? Right now he works quite a bit. The job he's doing right now is not seven on seven off. They're, they're considering that right now in his hospital because the current schedule is not working out for a lot of the doctors. So I think he's going to go to the seven on seven off. They're going to eventually switch to that, but that's not what he does right now. But the fact that he does work a lot does give me some flexibility for sure. Um, what do you think some are, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face like becoming a doctor? So this think of kind of some of our, our you know, newer um, residents or people that are going to be becoming a physician this year. What what's some advice you could give them on some challenges that they might you know, encounter? One of the most, um, I work in an underserved area, so I work with a lot of Medicaid, um, non-insured patients. So one of the main things is just for them to be able to afford their medicine. A lot of diabetics, a lot of people have blood pressure. They will tell you, I can't get my medicine till next week, or I just can't afford that right now. Um, and then they go a big period of time without their medicine, and then their sugar goes up, and then you're back to square one. So that's one of the biggest challenges I face is just um, people having resources. And um, even the ones with the insurance, a lot of the insurance don't approve the newer, really, really good medicines. They don't approve it because they want you to try all these older stuff first. So it's just it's just very challenging. And some patients need an MRI or a CAT scan and the insurance company will deny it because they don't think it's necessary. But then I'm like, Do you haven't seen the patient. So I think it's necessary, but you haven't seen the patient. How were you able to determine that? So that's one of the biggest challenges I found is people not having financial resources and access like good um, access to good care, really. And kind of your advice around getting around that is just finding maybe alternatives of medicines or things that that you know the insurance will cover. Yeah, so I try to find the cheaper options for them. Some of those cheaper medicines are still good, but some of them they don't work as great as the newer ones. But we just work with what we have. So I try to find alternatives for them. I try to, if they, sometimes if they, there's something that they need, like an MRI of their back, I will just, if it's denied by the insurance company, what I'll do is I'll just refer them to a specialist. Maybe the specialist can have better luck in getting it approved and see what else they can do to help them.
I knew one of the big topics is, you know, around obviously the the shortage in physicians. I was just reading, I think there's going to be, they're projecting like 55,000, you know, primary care physician shortage this year. What would you kind of say if, you know, inspiring that next group of, of leaders and physicians, what, what, what do you like about being, you know, a doctor and what has made this, um, you know, career fulfilling for you? Well, being able to help patients, um, I always get excited when a patient, I see a patient for the first time, they have, their blood pressure is really high, their hemoglobin A1C, their diabetes is just like, I'm like, how are you surviving? They're, it's really, you know, their A1C is really high. And as we work through the process, I see them like every two to three months and I'm able to get that down. I felt, I find that really fulfilling when I'm able to talk to a patient that has all these, a young patient usually has all these medical issues or these complaints. And I'm able to sit them down and talk to them about their childhood and what led to this, what led to this, because a lot of my practice, everybody in the clinic will tell you, I see a lot of mental health patients. Um, it's not by choice, but it's, they somehow they seem to lean towards, I get, get a lot of those and just be able to sit down with them and talk about their childhood and their life and how, what has really um, led to where they are now. Because what I do find is a lot of, uh, a lot of my patients that have a lot, especially the young ones that have a lot of physical complaints, there's always a root to it. Like why? And they will tell you, they'll, once they open up to me, they'll tell you what happened when they were younger. And all of a sudden, it's manifesting the physical complaints. So it's always fulfilling to be able to hear their stories and be able to tell how it can help them. And because sometimes you're the first person that's listened to them as their doctor. Nobody else, they don't have a whole lot of people that, a lot of social connections and people that listen to them. So it's always fulfilling when they trust me enough to tell me those things. I love that. That trust and that empathy that really kind of is the, the core of, of, it sounds like everything you do, which is, which is amazing. I wanted to give you, you know, also a chance to talk about anything that you think, you know, you would like to just communicate to, to our listeners. Um, a lot of them are obviously, you know, physicians in different fields, but if there's anything um, that, you know, something that you just want to share in, in within the community, this really is about community building within, you know, um, with fellow physicians. Oh, well, for the, I don't know if medical students are listening, but for the medical students, I want to talk a little bit about choosing a specialty. So one of the things, um, don't do it for money because money can do a lot of other things to make money, which is be a doctor. There's so many other things these days. Just find what you're passionate about. What, what field are you passionate about? What are you good at? What are your skills? Um, not everybody can become a surgeon. If you know that you're not really good with your hand-eye coordination, maybe that's not the field for you. Because whatever you, if you choose something that you like, you love and something that you're good at, you're more likely to be successful in that. Um, and that's really my main advice for medical students that are, that are thinking of specialties and also shadow, shadow somebody in that field to see if this is really what you want to do. If you don't get enough shadowing through your school, try to, try to find an extra something outside of school. To, so some, try to find somebody outside of school to shadow. Because this is a this is a, this is a lifelong commitment. I mean, you went to school for this long, to quit midway is is, is not worth it. So you just want to make sure it's something you want to do, and that you'll be happy in. And also, your person, you know, go based on your personality. If you don't like to talk to people, and you like to be in a dark room, or you don't really 
want to have a lot of patient care, maybe radiology would be better or pathology. But if you're, I don't want to say socially awkward, but if you don't really like to talk to people, then maybe, you know, something like pediatrics or family medicine may not be the best route for you. So also choose something based on your personality as well. Dr. Baditi, uh, building upon that thought, I was just thinking is here you're a, a female provider, you're well-versed, um, you're married to another physician, you know, your child's going to probably live a pretty nice life. But to help those those other female physicians are thinking that they're going into medicine, I, I studied economics, so I'm a supply and demand guy. So I know in OB, there's like 83% of all uh, providers coming out of training are women. Are there any areas that you see now that you're a practicing physician that, you know, a female physician say, God, there's just not as a whole lot of supply of women, whatever, that might be something based upon some of the other things you mentioned also, but it's like, there's a huge need for women providers in these specialties. Is there any insight that you could give? Yes, especially, I think surgery is one of the ones that, the main ones that we don't see a lot of females, especially like orthopedic surgery neurosurgery um so i think it's a lot of that is probably because of the work-life balance it's not the greatest um because you're just so busy you don't really have a whole lot of time with your family so that's something else i think people should consider when it when choosing a specialty i would love to see women a lot more women in those specialties for sure um but i think that's definitely a factor um so i um i'll definitely like to see more women in that 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 field orthopedic neurosurgery. And how have you, you know, ever thought of doing private practice versus, you know, obviously now you're part of a, a medical group, but tell us a little bit about how, how you go about, you know, thinking about that or making those decisions. That's interesting you ask, because one of my friends always tells me, she's a nurse practitioner, she's always telling me, why don't you just open your practice? Why don't you, because you might, you can, because when you work in a, um, hospital group or hospital like a facility where you don't really have to be honest you don't have a whole lot of autonomy over your schedule what happens they it's controlled by ceos and people people in that category and so she was like just like she's always been telling me just open your own open your own practice and i was like mm, i don't know i i've considered it in the past but it just it seems like a lot <laughs> so um and i've talked to my husband about it and he's you know, it would be nice to have a, a spouse support for something like that. And he's not interested. So maybe one day if he gets interested, we'll think about it. But for now, I just w work through the hospitals, you know, work in a clinic, work through the hospital system. But it's definitely something I'm open to in the future. It's just, um, it's, it can be, it's not maybe, it can be satisfying, but it's not, it may not be all it's caught up to be because it's just a lot of little nuances you have to think about. I was going to say, yeah, what are the advantages of working, you know, in a hospital system? Um, one of the advantages is that everything is kind of, I mean, you have a nurse, you have a medical assistant, everything, you don't have to worry about when, whether, when they quit what to do, because that's not your, that's not something that you, you have, that's not something that you would be, be involved in, in recruiting. You would interview them, but you wouldn't be involved in recruiting them. Um, if I have any issues, I know who to go to, because if I have my own clinic, any issues would probably be coming to me, um, or the office manager. Um, so it's just, it's just, you have, kind of have that bubble where everything's just kind of done for you and that makes it easier and you having to do everything on your own. Kind of thinking future forward, I always like to ask this, how do you think, um, medicine will change in the next, you know, decade or so? It was changing already. So when I was in residency and I got out of residency, 
um, years ago, we didn't have telemedicine. So when there was a snowstorm or a patient couldn't make it to the clinic, there's no other options. If a patient can't make it to the clinic, they have to cancel their appointment or reschedule. If there's a snowstorm, patients just get canceled. A few weeks ago, we had ice here in the DFW. To me, that was nothing, but everywhere, everywhere closed. And um, we had to do telemedicine for the three, I did telemedicine for the three days that I was working. And years ago, that would not have happened. Years ago, what would have happened was there would, patients would just be rescheduled. So medicine is definitely advancing in terms of telemedicine. I think it's a good option for people. I think um, even me, I do with my with my doctor as well because sometimes he's only there once a week and the week the day he's there, I'm working. So I can you know, just take a little break from work and just talk to him. Years ago, I couldn't do that. I just have to take that whole day off or half a day off, go to his office. So I think medicine is really advancing children of tele telemedicine. I think it's a very, very good option. I think there's going to be more of that as time goes on. Almost every field right now is doing it. Um, I didn't think it was possible for hospitalists to do telemedicine, but it's 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 emerging for them too. So I think that's where that's where most of you know with COVID, I think that's where most of it is coming. Yeah, the convenience factor. Yeah, and the time that really. And obviously with COVID, it kind of rushed that in. And now it's, you know, really commonplace for people. Uh, but it does. It is a time saver when you're like, wait, I just, I need to talk to my doctor about this. And I can get in. Yeah, and it gives working mothers an option too. Um, if you want to do something extra on the side and you have young children, you can work from home essentially. Just do some telemedicine. Well, thank you. Thank you again, Dr. Baditi, for your time. We really, really appreciate it. And um, I think this just helps kind of build that community within the physicians, you know, and everything that they're doing to, to really um, make their, their lives a little bit easier. Hearing great advice from doctors like you. So thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. And y'all had some really great questions. Thank you to all of our listeners. If you would like to be notified when new episodes air, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And a big thank you to Pacific Companies. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. If you would like to be a guest, please go to www.pacificcompanies.com. Thank you.